place. He's in this place. If you need healing in your body, he is in this house. The Lord is present to heal. If you need healing in your heart, God can heal your heart. He binds up the brokenhearted. Amen. He gives recovery of the sight to the blind. Amen. If you've been stumbling through your life, I want you to know God is in this place to touch you right now. Amen. Maybe you've been bruised by life. I want you to know God Amen. Binds up. He looses the bruise. Hallelujah. Somebody lift up your hands as we pray all across this house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. There's an atmosphere where anything is possible in this house. Come on. There's an atmosphere of the miraculous in this place. We believe you can be healed right now. We believe you can be delivered right now. No 12-week program. One touch by God. One touch. Come on, somebody pray. Come on, somebody pray in the Holy Ghost. You can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost right now, speaking in other tongues. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise and a shout. Hallelujah. Let's give God a shout of victory and a shout of triumph. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord. How many loves the presence of God they feel? Amen. I love the presence of God that we feel. Man, I want God to move and have his liberty. Man, where the Spirit of the Lord is, as it was quoted earlier, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen. But there was places Jesus went. The Spirit of God went. But because of unbelief, there was no miracles. Amen. So in other words, there is something that the people of God can do to set the atmosphere. And it affects the liberty and the degree of liberty in which we feel. Amen. And so I believe we're not in a spirit of unbelief. We're not in an atmosphere of unbelief. I believe we're in an atmosphere of faith. And everywhere somebody had faith, people got healed. Everywhere people got faith, there was people getting saved. Everywhere somebody had faith, there was dead people coming back to life. Hallelujah. Amen. I feel, I feel a preach on me here today. Amen. I feel a preach in the Holy Ghost confirmation at this time we'd like to dismiss our sunday school students and their teachers to their classrooms amen everybody say god bless our sunday school kids and god bless our sunday school teachers amen praise god for everybody else we're going to turn open in our bibles to the book of matthew chapter 16 and beginning in verse number 24 I'd like to say again a great big welcome to all of our guests and visitors we're so honored that you're here. Let's give them a big ARC welcome. Amen. Amen. On behalf of my wife and I, we're so thankful that you are here. Amen. It's also good. Uh, I met him before service uh, to have Trent Buck in the house of the Lord. He, uh, he gave me a cool story. He was in church down there at Sacramento at the Rock Church, and he was nine years old, and he remembers my pastor. 
And, uh, and so I'm, I'm grateful, you know, things in life come full circle. And so, Brother Trent, it's good to have you in the house of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. And then we're going to be going to the book of Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, reads this way. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if... Any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life, everybody say self-preservation, is going to lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. I love how God's kingdom is backwards. To our world's kingdoms. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give, give in exchange for his soul? Book of Mark chapter 10 and verse number 17. The word of the Lord declares, And when he had gone forth into the way, there came one running, and kneeling to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not kill, or do not, do not commit adultery. Do not kill, do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. What a good guy. What a good guy. He's done. He's finished. He's got it all taken care of. Jesus sent him on his way. He said, have a great day. You're already better than everybody else. Nope. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Because the love of God will confront you. We don't believe in no sloppy agape. You know what I'm saying? Where love of God just lets you keep being the way you've always been. I want you to know God... God will take anybody at any place of their life. He loves you right where you are, but he loves you enough to not leave you where you are. I think somebody ought to give God a shout of praise for that. Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying. And went away grieved, for he had great possessions, great wealth, great possessions. Could it be he didn't have great possessions? His great possessions had him. He thought he had them under control, but they had him under control. He thought that he was the master of those things, but those things were the master of him. He called Jesus master when he should have called his stuff master. He called Jesus master when he should have called his boat master. Hallelujah. That's for free. Jesus looked at him. He loved him. He said, you got one thing you lack. You need to sell. This man who came to Jesus looking to buy, looking to acquire, looking to inherit, he got a word from Jesus. You need to sell. Amen. Would you set down your Bibles and let's, let's pray all across this building. I'll give you my title here in a minute. But let's pray all across this house that God would speak to us, that God would touch us.
Hallelujah. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for every individual that your spirit has drawn in this house. Father, we're asking God that you would fill somebody with the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. Lord, that you would give somebody a revelation of who you are. Hallelujah, Lord, in this sermon and in this service today, God, I'm praying that we would sell, that we would do whatever it takes, uh, amen, to get, uh, amen, the eternity with you, God. Hallelujah. Lord, we're giving you great praise and glory in Jesus' name. Somebody clap your hands and give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. A few years ago, I read an article that is, I had to fact check it because it looked so odd, it was most likely Snopes would say nopes. But it's intriguingly true. In the Chicago Tribune, back in 2002, there was an article in 1958, a New York man named Robert Lane decided to call his baby son Winter Lane. The Lanes, who lived in a housing project in Harlem, already had several children, each with a fairly typical name. But this boy, Robert Lane, apparently had a special feeling about this one. So he called him Winter Lane. With a name like Winter Lane, how on earth could he ever fail? Three years later, the Lanes had another baby boy, their seventh and last child. And for reasons that no one can quite pin today, due to a discussion with his daughter, Robert decided to name this boy Loser Lane. It doesn't appear that Robert was unhappy with the new baby. He just thought it would get a kick if he had two different boys, a bookend, if you will, Winner Lane and Loser Lane. First a winner, and now he's got a loser. If Winner could hardly be expected to fail, how on earth could loser possibly succeed? Only time would tell. One eventually became a policeman and was eventually promoted to detective. The other fell into a life of small-time crime, racking up at least 31 arrests before being jailed for two years. But for the Brothers Lane, it was not a case of their unique names that sealed their fates. I went a totally separate route from my brother right from the start, said Loser Lane, age 41, a detective with South Bronx. Loser Lane became a star athlete in school. He was a, he was a star student in school. He went on a scholarship to an elite preparatory school in Lafayette College in Pennsylvania and then eventually joined the force. Winners Lane, however, went the other way. He's 40, at 44 years old, Winner completed a two-year jail sentence for breaking into a car. He was living in a homeless shelter in upstate New York, shuttling back and forth between it and the city, trying to get his life back on track. When asked, why did he commit so many crimes, he just responded, it was just some situations I got into, Winner said. Loser said of his brother, most of the crimes are just minor crimes. Uh, I don't think my brother's a bad guy. He's just a little kooky, not a heavy drinker, some domestic violence problems, but he, he's, just, he's just not all there, I think. The brothers rarely see each other now, though Winner will often phone Loser when he gets short of money, but aside from that, they're not really close. It, uh, it, at the end of it all, it appears 
that sometimes the loser does win. And I want to preach to us for a few moments on that subject. Only the losers win. Hallelujah. We all have a desire to win. I want to know, by showing a hands, how many people in the building like to lose? All right, there's nobody in the building. There's one that likes to lose, amen, and it's Brother Barbara. He doesn't lose very much at anything, uh, especially obscure games like bowling and, and bocce ball and pool and all those things. We've already figured that out, Brother Barber. Amen. Not very many people like to lose because we all want to be winners in life, don't we? We want to win in our finances. We want to win on our jobs. We want to win in our homes. We want to win in our marriages. We want to win with our kids. We want to win. I got some competitive folk in the house of God. You want to win. Winning is the key to survival and self-preservation in every competition, whether it's in business competition, the Olympics, sports, war, or even board games. In order to be successful, every contender must exhibit a desire to win. It is the desire to win that must be translated into determination and performance. This is why players, provoke, players devote time, effort, and even money to the achieving of winning. Without the desire to win, to some degree, it's near impossible to achieve the highest medal attainable. Because it's the desire to win that allows competitors to beat all the odds and overcome every obstacle despite every temporary setback and every temporary defeat. It's this desire to win that inspires and initiates perseverance through adversity in every single competition. It is the desire to win that keeps competitors going when everything in their body and everything in their mind is screaming, quit, stop, give up. But there's something that drives us. When you feel like even dying, there's something on a cellular level in your body that is screaming, keep on breathing, keep on living, don't die here. In other words, even your cellular level is screaming, don't be a loser. You've got to win at living. You've got to outlive everything that died before you. You've got to outlive the competition. You've got to outwin the winners. Somebody ought to clap your hands and give God praise. Amen. But the desire to win is stalked by this dark shadow, and it's called a fear of losing. See, there's some people, they're like me. We play to win. Now, I lose. I lose. I do. Not very often, but I lose. Amen. I, I, I do. I do. You know why? I, 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 but, but the difference between some of us in this building and others is we play to win, and there's other people play to not lose. You can't win medals if you play not to lose. You can't achieve if you play not to lose. You can't excel if you play not to lose because you're always looking over your shoulder at the fear of losing. Uh, you're always looking over your shoulder at what might go wrong. Uh, amen. But I want to tell you, the people like Peter that step out on the water, amen, have something different than the other 11 that stay in the boat. 
everyone in the boat was afraid they'd drown if they walked on the water. But the one that got out of the boat said, if I don't try, what's going to happen? Peter recognized everybody's walking on water in that boat, but I choose not to have the boat underneath me. I'm going to play that I might win. I'm going to run that I might achieve. I'm going to step out of this boat so I can get to Jesus. Somebody ought to clap your hands. I feel a preach up in my spirit. I feel a preach up in my spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. In fact, it is the fear of losing that is causing so many people to be stuck where they are today. If, you do, if you're so scared to, to lose, you'll never try. The only way you get better, you know what losing is? Losing is learning. Hallelujah. For people that say, I only try things when I'm good at them, you won't be good at very many things. Amen. you got to lose your way forward. Oh, praise God. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Hallelujah. Amen. It is this fear of losing that propels our society. It is this need to win that will keep some people in an endless draining cycle. It will have them working at a job they hate because they can't imagine losing it. It will have them fighting with their spouse but never reaching out to a counselor for fear of appearing to everybody else like they're losing it. It will have them posting their highlight reels on everything on social media, on Instagram and Facebook, TikTok, whatever it is. They've been appearing like they've got it all together because they are hoping to boost the confidence, uh, amen, that is currently losing. Uh, they just want everybody to think they're winning when, in fact, they're losing. Uh, it is the fear of losing that has people bound up by materialism and debt. Uh, somebody once created a bumper sticker that said, he that dies with the most toys wins. It is the fear of losing that will cause people to buy things they can't afford to impress people they don't like. It is that American dream uh, that has become the American nightmare. Uh, amen. It's the idea that winning is getting married, having two kids, a house, and a white picket fence, and a dog named Scruffy. Uh, amen. It is this that has caused our current generation to bury their head in the sand. Uh, amen. Wave their white flag and say, I've already been defeated, so why even try? It's got our generation feeling like they've already lost before they ever got started because there's no way. They mean the American dream's nothing more than that. It's just a dream. There's no way I could make enough money to buy that house. There's not enough money. I've got to pay off these student loans. Whatever the case may be, they're screaming out, I've lost, I've lost, I've lost. Our world's created its own world, its own rules for winning the game of life. In, a, in an American system, we've created something called the merit system. If you do good, you win. If you do bad, you lose. But I want to tell you, America didn't invent the merit system. The merit system has been going all the way back to the fall of man. Amen. According to our current society uh, and the society of Jesus' day, uh, amen, that rich young ruler that showed up uh, was winning. He had it all together. He had success. He had money. He had people underneath him. He was a leader. He meant he was moral as far as everybody else knew. Don't let everybody fool you. They act like they're moral, but they're not. 
Amen. He was polite. He even kneeled down. Uh, amen. He was flattering. Uh, he knew how to talk to people of authority. Uh, he got down and called Jesus master. Uh, amen. Even was willing to kiss his shoes if he needed to uh, and said, good master. Uh, he knew, uh, amen, that he was got it all together. Uh, he knew that he was good. When he came to Jesus, he came with such confidence. When he came to Jesus, he was expecting that Jesus would treat him like everybody else in that day would treat him. They'd take one look at this young man, amen, and see the gold stars of his life, the winning of the merit system, the winning of the moral system, the winning of the religious system, the winning, amen, of the Puritan system that says if you got money, God must favor you. And if you're broke, God doesn't love you. Amen. Somewhere they got that, but it wasn't found in the Word of God. And they looked at this young man, and they said, this guy's got a winning streak. He can't lose. Look at him. I have no doubt this rich young ruler was probably good looking. I have no doubt he was in shape. He was fit. He had it all together. He's somebody we would have called a celebrity. And though they don't call it worship today, people would have worshiped him. He came to Jesus, amen, smiling. I bet he's the only dude in Jerusalem who had white teeth without Colgate. He'd put our smiles to shame. Amen. Brush his teeth with the Dead Sea salt water. Comes to Jesus, $10,000 smile, could have been a realtor. And said, good master. He even came to ask the most important question. This is not an idiot. See, listen, there's some stupid people came to Jesus. There's stupid people still come to Jesus. I was one of them. They came to trip him up. They came to ask him questions that he uh, might not be able to answer, that they could somehow accuse him. They came with ulterior motives, but he came with the most important question. Uh, what must I do to be saved? No one in your entire Bible asked that question. Outside, uh, before you get to the book of Acts, when they asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter gave them the remedy. Can I tell you the remedy for a moment? Acts 2.38, amen. You want to know how to be saved? Then Peter said to them, repent. You got to start by dying to yourself and be baptized. Not some of you, not those of you that want to make a profession of your faith. He said, every one of you. How? In the name of Jesus Christ. And what does it do? It washes all your sins away. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Somebody ought to shout if you've been a recipient of so great a salvation. You ought to shout if you want to be a recipient of so great a salvation. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to shout and give God praise. Come on, let's take a few moments and give God glory. Let's take a few moments and give God praise. Hallelujah. He came. Everybody else has questions. Will you restore Israel to dominance in the country and in amongst the world? They ask all sorts of questions. Is it lawful to divorce for the tenth time? They ask all sorts of questions. They wanted to know. But this man came with a $10,000 smile and said, what do I got to do that I could inherit eternal life? He wasn't looking to debate. He wasn't looking to throw Jesus off. Amen, like the Pharisees did. He came with his winning track record to ask what other good thing he could do 
to earn his place in heaven. He was asking the question, what else would give me a place in heaven? When you ask a question like, what else? You are already taking your track record with you uh, and saying, if you line it up uh, with all of this good stuff I've already done, uh, how can you give me one more task? Uh, in other words, what, he, what was he doing? Uh, he was bringing his resume with him uh, and saying, I've already done uh, all of the right things, uh, and I just want you to validate uh, that I am, in fact, a good person, uh, that I do have it all together, uh, that my my winning uh, really is winning. What must I do? What else do I got to do? Herein lies the, pro the issue. What is good and what is bad? What is winning and what is losing? Jesus confronted him on this subject. He didn't even answer the guy's question. Huh? Amen. He, he showed up and said, good master, and Jesus cut him off. I love how Jesus does that to us sometimes. He's about to save us from being stupid. You came, you came so good, young man. Just stop right there. You came to the altar. You prayed. You repented. Now just be quiet. Hey, Amen. I thank God for when he had me speak in tongues, but I'm also glad when he shut my tongue down. Hallelujah. He wanted to know, amen, how this young man defined good, how he defined winning. He then starts quoting this young man, the Ten Commandments, and get this, he's going to pay Jesus back. Before Jesus could finish the Ten Commandments, the young man excitedly interrupts him and cuts him off back. All of these have I kept from my youth. He looks at him and says, I've already done that. Yes, as a young schoolboy who tries to answer the question before the teacher even asked it, he's certain he's got the right answer. Surely I won again. Surely Jesus will tell me what good boy I've been. Surely I deserve heaven after being so good. Surely I've got it all figured out. Surely this is what winning looks like. Our world they may not have the $10,000 smile. They may not come to Jesus. Amen. With this questioning, what must I do to be saved? I'll tell you why. Because too many have given themselves over to this young man's theology. They've already determined in themselves, I'm winning. I know I'm winning, even though everything around them is losing. They've defined what good is based on everybody else's badness. Here's the problem with moral relativity. You can go to any prison in America and talk to the murderer, and the murderer will say, well, at least I didn't rob him. You talk to the thief, and the thief say, well, I sent my mom a Christmas card. I'm a good person. What are they doing? They're looking at everybody else, and they are defining whether or not they are good based on everybody else's badness. If we were to go out in this city right now and ask people, what does it take to be saved? Are you on your way to heaven? Amen. I promise you, 99%. Why is the building not completely full? Amen. Some people are on vacation. Other people in our world would say, I don't need God because I've already won. You don't need a Savior if you're already saved. And our world would tell you, no, no, I'm a good person. But can I preach to somebody, according to the Scriptures, good ain't good enough. You know what religion says? Try harder. 
It says, do more. What else can I do? What else can I accomplish? Amen. But you got it all mixed up. Amen. In this kingdom, you don't win. In this kingdom, you lose. Jesus looked right back at this young man, and he began to preach to him, amen, the gospel message. Amen. He said, one thing you lack, go sell all that you have and give it away. And when you do that, you'll have treasure in heaven. Is Jesus saying everybody needs to go out and sell their car and live in a commune? No. Paul talked about those that will be rich in this world. Amen. He said, be willing to communicate. Amen. That's nowhere through the Bible. God is not, amen, poverty is not pious. Amen. But neither is wealth. In other words, what am I saying? Being poor doesn't make you more spiritual, and being wealthy doesn't make you more spiritual. Amen. All it is is a moral indicator of where you are. What you do with your money and what you do with your lack thereof is a moral indicator. Jesus was not telling everybody, here's a Band-Aid. Go sell everything and live in the mountains. Well, we already live in the mountains, so we're doing all right. We're just going to sell everything. Praise God. Hallelujah. Jesus is not giving a blanket statement. What is Jesus saying? One thing you lack, you keep winning, you keep gaining, you keep doing, you keep accumulating, you keep acquiring. Everything you do, it keeps building your net worth. Everything you're doing keeps building your moral worth. Amen. He said, but one thing you lack, you don't lack. Hallelujah. One thing you lack, you have to lose some things to win. One thing you lack, young ruler, in my kingdom, you have to lose in order to win. Can I preach to somebody? In Christianity, the losers win. Can I preach it? Only in surrender uh, do we find true victory. Uh, only in selling everything and selling out do we really buy in. Only in death uh, do we really have life. Uh, can I preach to somebody? Uh, you body and body and body and uh, to all the lies of this world. Uh, but somewhere along the lines, uh, you got to sell your winning streak in this world. Uh, you got to lay it on an altar, honey, and say, I count all those things as dung, as Paul said, for the excellency of Christ. I lay all those things aside my pedigree, my money, my job, my degrees. My good, my bad, I lay it down at the altar. Somebody ought to lift up your hands and let's pray. Come on, let's pray all across the building. Come on, only the losers win in the kingdom of God. You got to be willing to repent. You got to lose some things. You got to lose some things in order to gain some things. You got to lose love for this world if you're going to gain heaven. You're going to have to lose your past if you're ever going to have a future. You're going to have to lose some things to win. Somebody pray. Our world, they don't want to lose. They're so scared to lose. They built their castle on sand. And a preacher comes by and says, you're going to have to start over on the foundation. I don't think you notice how beautiful my life is. It says social media and filters. Well, it says Photoshop. Hallelujah. But if we're to be honest, you need to lose you built this whole castle on sand, and here's the real story. You're going to lose one way or another. 
You can lose on your terms or you can lose on life's terms. Hey, everybody's going to lose their life. Do you know that we're all dying? We're all dying. Amen. In fact, life just has a 100% mortality rate. Well, 99% because Jesus got up. But hey, you don't get out of this thing alive. Don't take it so serious. Oh, but preacher, I got I to gotta get my 401k right. Brother, God will take care of you. Get your 401k the best you can, but be in church. Because you could die tomorrow. Your 401k don't mean nothing. You lost it anyways. And somebody you will never meet will spend it. There's some folks, you're going to leave money to your great-grandkids. They don't even know your name, don't care who you are. And you spend all your life worrying and toiling and doing more and doing more so you could win. So that at the end of your life, what? You could lose? But I've come to preach to somebody. God is calling for us to sell. God is calling for us to sell out. God is calling for us to lay some things down. Amen. Because if you lay them down, there's some things you gain. Can I preach to somebody? There's some things you got to lose in order to win. Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can I preach to somebody, if you're going to win, you got to lose some sins at an old-fashioned altar. You're going to have to lay some things down. Can I preach a not-so-popular message amongst Christianity of 2022? you got to repent. Don't let nobody lie to you that you don't have to say you're sorry. Don't let nobody lie to you and say you're good the way you are. Everybody must repent. Oh, somebody ought to shout. Somebody ought to give God praise. Come on, you got to make it right with God. You got to go to the altar and say, God, I know I made a mess, but I'm sorry. Would you help me? God, help me to get it right. You got to lose your sin. There's some people, all they want to do is what Adam and Eve did. They want to get some fig leaves and cover up their sin. Hey, listen. You got filters. You got all sorts of stuff. You're hiding and faking everybody out till they meet you in person. We got some catfishing Christians. Uh, I'll let y'all Google that later. I'm telling you, we got some catfishing Christians. That everybody thinks you got it all together. Everybody thinks you got it right, but you never made it right with God. You might be a shake of the preacher's hand. You might be able to sing in a choir. You might be able to sing on a platform, but you hadn't repented. You hadn't told God, would you not just cover this, but would you clean it out? <laughs> to lose your sin, you have to repent of your sin. Does you, listen, it does you no good. Amen. To, to say, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just apologize for this mustard stain and then take that mustard bottle and squeeze it all over yourself. God didn't come to save you in your sin. God came to save you from your sin. Hey, listen. 
Brother Jonathan, they ain't a popular message. Amen. In fact, I can't think of one other church in this city that is preaching this right now because they want to tell you, you got it all together. You're great. Just as long as you come here, put some money in the plate, you'll be all right. But I'll be the one to stand up in Carson City and say, you must repent or you shall likewise perish. But if you repent, you'll have life. If you repent, you'll be cleaned. If you repent, you'll be washed. But it does you no good to say you're sorry for the mustard stain on your shirt and never take it to the water. Come on. You got to take it to the water. You got to take it to a watery grave. You got... See, you don't know. I just used a new reference to preach to you about baptism. The Bible says that baptism doth now save us. Baptism doesn't just get your body wet. Baptism, Peter said, saves you. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. Peter preached it. If you're baptized in Jesus' name, it washes all your sins away. Well, I'm a preacher. I don't, I don't know about that. Grandma didn't tell me that. Well, Peter told us that. Paul told us that. Jesus told us that. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, except a man is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Peter told everybody on the day of Pentecost, all the Jews, you got to repent, be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, and, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm sorry. And, and then some people would say, well, that's just the Jews. I got news for you. Acts 8. You got two things happen in Acts 8. Number one, you have all of Samaria, half Jews, half Gentiles. And the Bible says they were all baptized in Jesus' name. Hey. And then what happened? He said, you got to lay hands on them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. And they all received the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, water and spirit. Well, I don't know about that. Okay, Acts chapter 10, you got Cornelius, a Gentile, doesn't know anything about God. And while Peter yet preached these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them and they began to speak in other tongues. Well, you see right there, preacher, I don't need to be baptized. I got news for you. You're going to have to lose that mindset. Because Peter said, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we did? And what happened? Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Not admonish, not encourage, not said if you want to make a profession of your faith. He commanded them to be baptized in Jesus' name. Well, I don't know. Give me more. I got more than you got time. Acts 19, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came amen, through Corinth and finding certain disciples. They already were believers. They went to church. They were churchgoers. They were church members. They held a card. Amen. They shook the preacher's hand. They had it all together. And Paul said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we haven't even heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. You know, that's sad. John the Baptist preached about the Holy Ghost. 
He said, the one coming after me is mightier than I. The latch of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Matthew 3.11. He preached the Holy Ghost, and people that went to his church didn't even know there was a Holy Ghost. How sad it is that in our world today, there are people that are calling themselves churches, but they have never received the Holy Ghost. They don't even preach about the Holy Ghost. Nobody speaks in tongues. I want to tell you, that ain't a church. That's a, that's a gathering. That's not a church. That's not a congregation. That's another social club. But I want to tell you good news for those that believe but don't know what they believe. He said, how thin were you baptized? Because it's connected. It's connected to losing your sins. How then were you baptized? They said, well, under John's baptism. He said, great. Praise God. You need to be rebaptized. Can I preach to Carson City? You got to be baptized in Jesus' name. When I was baptized as an infant, you need to be rebaptized. When I was baptized, but I don't know what they said. You need to be rebaptized in Jesus' name. Why does it matter? I'll tell you why it matters. Because you got to lose your sin if you want to be saved. You can't lose your sin if you've not repented of your sin. You can't lose your sin if you've not been baptized and had the blood of Jesus wash away your sins. You know what else we got to lose? We got to lose our carnal minds. Hallelujah. I'm about to get an amen right now. At least my wife will say amen. I don't know. The Bible says the carnal mind is the enemy of God. The Bible says it is not possible to please God in the flesh. I see a whole lot of flesh in our world. I see a whole lot of carnality in our world. And fortunately, I see a whole lot of flesh in the churches uh, that I've traveled to. Uh, amen. I thank God there's some people who've been praying this week. Uh, but I, I want to help you here today. Uh, if you want to make sure, uh, amen, that God is your friend, you've got to lose your carnal mind. What's a carnal mind look like in this generation? Is that all necessary? Do they really need to sing like that? Do they really need to jump around? Is, that re is it really necessary for them to get so excited? And yet if we were to go back a week and see you at the football game, you lost your ever-loving mind. You're passionate, but we don't know what you're passionate about. You got emotions. We don't know what you're emotional about. The carnal mind says, is that really necessary to go to church? But you scrolled on your phone for 10 hours yesterday. I just come to preach and I feel good. I went through hell this week and I came to preach hell out of this building. You want God as your friend? You got to lose your carnal mind. What does that mean? Well, how do you do that? Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable. Well, it's unreasonable that we got to go to church. It's unreasonable we got to live like that. It's unreasonable. Says who? Your carnal mind. Amen. It is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. You know the word repentance? The word metanoia in the Greek, what does that mean? To change your mind, you got to lose your mind. Somebody said, somebody said, you've been brainwashed. I'm like, no, I've been blood washed. 
When I first got saved, my family tried to stop me from going to church because they thought I joined a cult. But I stopped trying to cut myself. I stopped trying to kill myself. I started... I started being more respectful. I want to tell you what happened. I've not been brainwashed. I've been blood washed. You see, they wanted to keep me uh, as a loser uh, in this world, but God wanted to make me a winner in his kingdom. Uh, but I had to lose this stuff over here to win over here. You ought to stand across the building and clap your hands and give God a shout. Come on, give God the best shout you've given him all year long. Come on, only the losers win. I lost my sin. I lost my shame. I lost my guilt. I lost my past. You ought to lose your mind and give God praise. Forgive me if I get undignified. Because you don't know like I know. See, you don't know like I know what he's done for me. I wish I had five people with a testimony. Give God praise right now. Is there anybody that he picked you up? He turned you around. He placed your feet on solid ground. Is there anybody that he loved you? Is there anybody he cleansed you? Is there anybody? See that rich young ruler? He went away sorrowful. You know why? Because he felt like he was winning. And I know I'm preaching to some folks. You feel like you're winning. Preach, I don't really need to do that. I'm doing just fine. Okay. I think the challenge is, amen, Jesus even had to deal with this challenge. The person who feels like they've already won does not try. And when Jesus says, you got to sell, not buy, you got to sell out. You gotta lose what you put your reliance in. Well, I've been a part of this church for so many years. I'm a demon, a deacon, a deacon. Sorry, slip of the tongue. I've been in some. We don't. We don't. We got no demon board around here. De deacon board. Sorry. We got good men of God. But I've been to some. All dignified. I, I've been, I was, I went to one church. I went, well, well, hallelujah. I was real zealous at 16 years old. If you can't tell, I'm still a little zealous, just a little bit. And I went to a denominal church, and I just went to go, and I was hoping to share with them a little more of the gospel message. I mean, because I knew that they stopped preaching a long time ago. Wasn't trying to be rude. I really wasn't trying to do anything. I walked in and started talking to the youth pastor's husband. And I started talking. Before it's all of a sudden, I'm surrounded by the pastor and like 30 people. And he tried to tell me his pedigree. I received the Holy Ghost in a barn. And I was like, great. Jesus was born in a barn. 
and he tried, oh, and I went, and you learned all that at Bible college. And I looked at him and I said, man, I'm 16 years old. I've never been to college. They wouldn't let me in. Uh, <laughs> couldn't pass the exams. I don't know. But we started talking, and it was like this idea. Same thing I've seen with other people. You share with them what is clearly in the Bible, what it clearly says you got to do. And they immediately go back, but I've already won for all these years. I've already, no, 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 we're, we're good. This is, this is, it's, you know what it is we preached about last week? It's survival. It's self-preservation. Do you know what will keep you out of heaven the most? Self-preservation. If you seek to preserve your life, save your life, you will lose it. Not my words, Jesus' words. If you seek to maintain your dignity, you'll lose it one day or another. Uh, amen. But if you make it up in your mind, uh, I don't have to be too prideful to get a hold of God. I don't have to be too dignified to get a hold of God. I, I don't need to rest in my laurels, amen, to get a hold of God. Uh, amen. I'm willing, uh, and I'm willing to get a hold uh, of whatever the Holy Ghost wants to do. I'll, last, I'll lose my pride. I'll lose myself. I'll lose my mind. I just want what God has for me. This is why. We'll talk about it another time. This is why right before that rich young ruler showed up, Brother Diaz, there was a bunch of kids trying to get to Jesus. And you know what the Bible says? The disciples said, get him away from here. And the dude with a $10,000 smile, they said, bring him over here. He's a winner. You want to know why our church loves kids? Your pastor was a 13-year-old boy living in the hood, from the hood, last name hood, everything about me hood. Hallelujah. And God saw fit to reach down to where I was and pull me out. And Jesus said, listen, you guys got all this winning and losing upside down. These kids right here that come to me, and they just say, Father, they have no expectation, no pedigree. Amen. They don't, they, they don't have to worry about what they got to lose because everything they're doing right now, they stand to gain. Don't let what you got stop you from what you can get. But I've got religiosity in my background. I've got, I've got religious bones. Ain't nobody got religious bones. you got carnal bones. Hallelujah. Everybody got carnal bones. But you know what you can do? You can come down to this altar and say, God, it doesn't matter how much it is. That doesn't have me. I have it. And I'm laying it down at the true master. People have said, oh, Jesus is my master. And then they leave the building. He's not even close to their master. And there's other people that don't have it all together. I know there's people in this building that were addicted to drugs. They did. They were losing in life. But even when you're losing in life, you can take those areas where you're winning at losing. <laughs> you're winning at being a loser. And you can lay that stuff at the altar. All your shame. All your guilt. All your past. All your mistakes. Everything you're not proud of. And in that moment, when you lay it, when you sell it, when you give it to God, it's not more that you can do. It's laying down what you've done and say, God, I need you. And in that moment, doesn't matter if you were a winner or you were winning at losing. You lose all that stuff, you become a winner in God's kingdom. Would you lift up your hands and let's pray. Come on. 
In fact, I want to open up this altar. I'd like everybody to come. Come on, no matter where you're at in life. Well, preacher, I've been winning. I've been doing real good. All right, I want you to come because we're going to lay some of that stuff down that you, amen, you got without God, and you're going to give it to God, and you're going to lay it down and say, God, I got all this before I got you, and God, I got the cart before the horse. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and ends up losing over here his soul? It'd be better off for you to just lay the whole world on the altar and win your soul. Come on, somebody needs to lose your label in this world and become a winner in Jesus' kingdom. You cannot let other people define you, to make you, or to break you. Where you were born doesn't define you. Who your family was doesn't define you, good or bad. Your decisions are what have defined you. But you can lay those things down at the altar and say, God, would you take, if it's broken, give him your brokenness. If you think it's good, it's still broken, give him your brokenness. If you got it all together, I pray. I promise you, you need to give it to Jesus and find out how much you didn't. Oh, somebody pray. You gotta lose to win. You gotta lose it. You gotta lay it down at the feet of Jesus. You gotta repent of it. You gotta say it. God, take it. Take it. Take it. You'll become a winner in God's kingdom. You might be winning in this world, but if you lay that stuff down at the altar, you'll win, you'll win in God's kingdom. And if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he'll help you win all those other things too.
Let's lift up our hands all across this building. Come on, pray right where you are.